the first day of spring this March the 21st in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday. And we are going to be taking a look at lessons for the fourth Sunday in Lent, which will occur on March the 27th in the year of our Lord 2022. There's really three great lessons, so it's really hard to know which one to choose. We're going to start off, though, with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I always like to begin every sermon with a question, and I spend quite a bit of time in working out the question for the sermon because I'm looking to have a question where the congregation members will give the wrong answer. What? Why would you want to do that? Well, you see, if they give the wrong answer, that means they're thinking with their old Adams, and the purpose of the sermon is to get them to think with their new man as to how God thinks. So, if I was preaching on this particular passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 to 21, Here's the question I would ask at the beginning of the sermon. Are you righteous enough to get to heaven? And you will not believe even how many Lutherans will say no to that. No, they don't consider themselves righteous enough. And that's why we need to do this lesson. Because this is a reading about the very accuracy and proper summary of Lutheran theology in regard to how you are saved. So without further ado, let's start with verse 16. Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. What's he talking about? That he only regarded Jesus according to the flesh. Well, remember, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. He didn't believe that He was the savior of the world. In fact, he persecuted Christians who believed those items. And so when he thought about Jesus, he probably had heard that he was born out of wedlock from a human point of view. And therefore, how could he be the Messiah? Now, he knew him to have done some wonderful works, some miracles, but even the disciples regarded Jesus according to the flesh uh, until after the resurrection. I, I remember they're on a boat. It's sinking in the water. Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the boat, and they wake him up, and he said, don't you care? They say to him, we are about to perish. And he contradicts them and criticizes them 
for not having sufficient faith. Because there's no way, if you read the Old Testament, that Jesus is going to die in the middle of the Galilean Sea. No. So if they had only believed the Bible, they too could have been asleep on the boat. And and then you got the women who followed Jesus and often listened to his preaching. Remember in the Gospel of Mark alone, Jesus says three times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I will die there, but three days later I will rise from the dead. So what are the women doing three days later? They're rushing to his tomb in order to give him proper anointment for his burial. They don't believe he's going to rise from the dead. See, this is what it means that they regard Jesus according to the flesh. And unbelievers, yes, he was a man from Nazareth, but boy, he he certainly wasn't God. Even in his own own town, they got angry with him because he refused to do miracles like he had done in Capernaum. And he talked to them about, well, you know, miracles were done in the Old Testament to Gentiles, and he's not going to do them in his own hometown. They're ready to throw him off a cliff. How can they do that? Because they were regarding him according to his flesh. Now, Paul is talking about that even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Uh, The best example of that is the second Sunday of Easter, after his resurrection, Thomas sees Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. First time an apostle refers to Jesus as God. So Paul is now going to expand why we don't regard people according to the flesh, especially Christians. If anyone is in Christ, this is verse 17, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fulfillment of a prayer of David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What God is saying here is that that promise was fulfilled in holy baptism. As Peter says on the day of Pentecost, you will receive two gifts, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are now a new creation. Uh, Until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, All of your good works are sinful. What? How can good works be sinful? Because according to the flesh, we think that, well, people who give food to the hungry, help them have homes if they're homeless, 
help them to get a job, uh, counsel them, etc. That those are all good works. But an unbeliever cannot be doing what God considers as a truly good work because his motivation is never out of love for Jesus Christ. And until you have that Holy Spirit, until you have that faith in Jesus, until you regard Jesus apart from his flesh alone, therefore you are not a new creation. But when you are a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. Now verse 18 is really a great verse. All this is from God. Now how do we as a new creation, how is this all from God? Well, it continues in verse 18 who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, this is the huge difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. In every other religion in the world, their problem, they believe, is not themselves. Oh, yes, they're sinners, but they can do some good works to overcome their sin. Their real problem is God. God is not reconciled to them because they are sinners. And so they have to work at getting God to be reconciled to them. That's where the problem is, is with God. But boy, does Paul reverse that kind of thinking. He says that in Christ, God is reconciled to us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, how many Christians understand that? That the church is really in the business of talking about how we have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, he talks about it in verse 19, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I've said this many a time as a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness means that God does not hold you accountable for your sin. The way Paul puts it is that God does not count your trespasses against you. And that he then entrusts to the Holy Church the message of reconciliation. You see, that reconciliation is something that has already occurred. God is not only reconciled just to believers, he's reconciled to 
unbelievers. Oh, is that understood properly? If he's reconciled to unbelievers, how come unbelievers don't go to heaven? Well, you see, it's one thing that God recognizes that Jesus has paid for the sins of every person, believer and unbeliever. This is really an important teaching of Holy Scripture. It's called objective justification. Now, that's a big word. It means that God considers every person to be justified because of the cross. Now, does that save them? What is needed is subjective justification. Objective is that the event has happened. Subjective is that the event is applied to you. So it really does make a a, a difference. Uh, For example, somebody may have a company and he has employees and he is going to give a bonus to those who really have done good work. Will everybody in the company get a bonus? Not necessarily. Just those who meet the qualification of doing what is necessary in that job. Now, what is necessary in the church? What is necessary is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And that itself is not something you create within yourself. It is a gift from God. So when Jesus died on the cross, the entire world's sins were paid for. Everybody's sins. But there are many who reject that gift. And therefore, through unbelief, they do not receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins. That's why the whole world, indeed, can be redeemed by God, but the whole world is not saved because of their refusal to believe. When Jesus died on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That request was to forgive those who had crucified him, the Romans. It was a request to forgive those who wanted the Romans to crucify him because they were unbelieving Jew. Then the request was also for his disciples to be forgiven because they had all fled from him in the garden of Gethsemane. And in fact, Peter had denied him three times. And that request was for you, you who continues to be a sinner, that the request is that you be forgiven, which means God will not hold you accountable. He will not count your trespasses against you because he counted them against his son. And therefore, 
What does he entrust to the church? That's the end of verse 20. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Have you ever thought about that? The message of the church is not, well, if you begin to do good works and kind of offset your sins, then God will like you. He may even love you and he will also save you. No, that is false teaching. God already loves you, even if you are an unbeliever. He may not like your sin. He hates your sin. But you as a person, he loves to the level where he sent his only begotten son to pay for your sins. Therefore, the church is entrusted with a message of reconciliation. By the way, that normally occurs in a lot of worship services at the beginning of the worship service. Remember, you're first reminded of your baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You begin the worship. Then you confess your sins. And what does the pastor do? Upon this, your confession, by virtue of his office, namely using the power of God through the authority given to him, he forgives your sin. That's the purpose of the message of reconciliation, that you are forgiven in Christ. So verse 20 and 21, these are two verses that ought to be inscribed on the walls of the church or maybe the doorway when people enter into the church to read it. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now now notice, From the context, God is not making an appeal to be reconciled to us. No, he already has been reconciled by the cross of Christ. He's making an appeal that we be reconciled to him. What does that mean? It means that we turn from no longer believing in him through the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive that faith which believes his promises that he has reconciled himself to us. Now, Paul even explains even further in verse 21 how that occurs. For our sake, God the Father made him namely Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand what that means? It means that Jesus never sinned, yet God declared him to be sin. And that certainly did happen at his baptism by John the baptizer. 
where he took a baptism of repentance. He had nothing to repent of. And in fact, John argued with him, no, no, no. You should be baptizing me, not vice versa. But Jesus said, I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And therefore, he became sin in God's eyes, even though he never sinned. In the same way, you become righteous in God's eyes, even though you rarely do a righteous good work. In fact, when you do a good work that is righteous, it's referred to as a fruit of the Holy Spirit because it has the proper motivation. You need not recognize that motivation. Like when you go to church on Sunday morning, you don't get up and say, well, I love Jesus, therefore, to show him my love, I'm coming to church. No, you just go to church because the Holy Spirit within you moves you, motivates you to want to hear what God has to say to you. So 2 Corinthians 5 is a tremendous passage to show the difference between Christianity and every other religion. You have nothing to do in order to get God to be reconciled to you. He already is, even if you're an unbeliever. But he desires you to now be reconciled to him. And that occurs through faith in the Holy Spirit. In fact, the reading for this particular Sunday namely the fourth Sunday in Lent, is from Isaiah chapter 12. Here's what it says, beginning with verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. See, that's the difference between law and gospel. Under the law, God can be angry with you because you are a sinner. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, God has turned his anger away from you and comforts you. Well, what better comfort is there to hear that your sins have been forgiven? that you're no longer held accountable by God for those sins, that you have received the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 2 of Isaiah 12 continues, and this is Old Testament. So the Old Testament also has the message of the gospel. It's a wrong distinction to say the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is gospel. Listen to verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. And then the next line is not I will obey and therefore not be afraid. It is I will trust and will not be afraid. 
for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. What a difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world where you become your own salvation by attempting to do good works to offset your sins, to balance off your standing with God. And find me a religion where there aren't a bunch of rules that saves you. Christianity, the Ten Commandments, were not put into place in order to save you. In fact, in Exodus 20, how do they begin? I am the Lord your God. I can prove it to you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, when you have that relationship with me, you will have no other gods. You won't take my name in vain. You'll remember my Sabbath day. You'll honor your parents and the rest of the commandments. The commandments, therefore, are really a way in which we behave when we have that right relationship with God. It's a wonderful comfort to us not to have to obey the commandments to be saved, but in order that we show God how much we love him. And what do we do when we don't obey the commandments? We repent in grief against what we have done to Jesus and are comforted by the message of reconciliation that God has been reconciled to us by means of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So, keep those passages in mind when you hear them this Sunday. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we're going to be taking a look at the hymn, I Trust, O Christ, in You Alone. Notice those first words, not I obey, but I trust in You Alone. Join us tomorrow for an analysis of that hymn. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.